Today, we're going to talk about driving bottom line results. Understanding how to create ecosystems where employees can deliver your company strategy and goals requires data and listening combined with expert analysis. And what are most HR pros concluding from this process? That designing a top tier employee experience is the answer. To help us design yours, we've called in a top 100 HR influencer. Welcome to the Voices of HR podcast presented by HR Morning. I'm your host, Berta Aldrich, outperformance coach and author of Winning the Talent Show. Each week, I have candid conversations with HR practitioners, thought leaders, and C-suite executives to tease out what works and what doesn't in human resources, people strategy, corporate culture, and more. With us today is Lisa Sterling, top 100 HR influencer and chief people officer at Perceptics. Lisa, welcome to Voices of HR. Thank you so much, Berta. I am so excited to be here today, and this is uh, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So I'm super excited about our conversation. Well, we're excited to have you here. So to start, let's let's start with kind of where HR is today, kind of in the ecosystem. So. There's no question, obviously, that our workplaces are in flux. You know, businesses are experiencing really this perfect storm of inflation and tight labor markets, shrinking margins. And at the same time, employees are pushing back on traditional in-person workplaces. Women are exiting the workplace, erasing years of progress and diversity. And our HR friends are sitting squarely in the center of the storm. As a disruptor, though, you thrive in this type of chaos. Why? Ah, uh, you know it, that's a, it's a great question, and I think it it comes down to I've I've always been a big believer in you know people say think outside the box. My philosophy has always been get rid of the damn box. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> no, you shouldn't you shouldn't believe that. Like right, like it's an opportunity to to break things because when you build them. You, you build them back better, right? There's, there's new materials, there's new opportunities. And I think it's HR has traditionally been the part of the organization that people expect to be most behind times, right? We, we seem to be the last mm -hmm. to take risks. We seem to be the last to really innovate. We're the last to become highly flexible and agile. And so uh, while so many not wonderful things have happened over the past couple of years. I do think one of the benefits of where we're at right now is it is literally forcing people's hands to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that is absolutely the place where HR needs to be. Because when we start to be uncomfortable, we start to flex muscles that we haven't in the past. And I think we needed this nudge right? Like I, I, I hate that we had to have a global pandemic and some of the economic challenges that we've had. But if, if one of the silver linings is we've pushed people off the cliff where we've given them the nudge and shove that they needed, then I think there's, there's some positive things that we can see coming from this. And I'm one of those people who loves to jump off the, the cliff without the parachute in hopes that something or someone's going to be there to catch me when I fall. That's great because HR wants you to do it and then you can tell them how it kind of went um, so that they can figure out whether to jump with you or not. Um, because when we first met, I remember you said something that was so poignant. You said that you like to make business leaders uncomfortable. And discomfort actually 
for HR can be a strategy. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying, you know what, HR, rip off the Band-Aid, go for it, embrace the discomfort, because you can build it back better than you did before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of what I believe makes some of the business leaders uncomfortable is just this natural evolution where the employee experience or the responsibility of all of the the employee elements of a business, right, are no longer that of of HRs. Uh, They actually are everybody's responsibility, right? Like, Listening is not HR's responsibility. Engagement is not response, this responsibility of HR. DEI and B is not HR's responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility. And that makes people uncomfortable, right? Like it's, I always, part of the reason why I never wanted to be an HR, which is a whole nother conversation, was I, I didn't want to be the out for people for the hard things that they had to do or the hard decisions or those difficult mm-hmm. conversations, right? It's it's so easy for us to say, oh, well, that's HR's thing. That's HR's responsibility or they're the ones that are doing that. No, like becoming uncomfortable means all of us leaning in and all of us doing the hard work together. And that ownership and accountability mm-hmm. being distributed equally across business leaders in, in organizations. And I think it elevates the level of leadership. Uh, It elevates the maturity of the the HR team, as well as the partnerships with our, you know, our functional leaders. And it, it makes everybody be a more, uh, be more methodical and deliberate to contributing to the conversations and the outcomes that we need to have. So to take a page kind of out of your playbook with discomfort, but also kind of all coming together there was this notion um, that marketing and communication has used for a long time called the customer experience. It's been around, I think, 1994, I think is when it was really credentialized and in the marketing arena, really had tremendous results. It really created synergy across the organization, efficiency, cost reductions, increased loyalty of, of clients. And it really was a way of looking at your company from the outside in or from the customer perspective. Mm -hmm. But you have said we've become so laser focused on providing the best customer experience possible that the employee experience gets ignored. Mm -hmm. Although the employee experience is a key driver of customer satisfaction. So why do you think the employee experience has kind of taken a back seat or is it starting to take a front seat now? So so I think there's there's two parts to that question. So I, I think it's in my opinion, it's taken the back seat for so long because we've always looked at we we've always looked at our our people as the the largest cost of the organization, right? I remember sitting in uh in one of my first executive meetings early on in, in my actual HR career, as I use air quotes and listening to the conversation around the table about hr being a cost center and mm-hmm. about you know um our our payroll and our investment and benefits being the greatest cost to our organization and and as i sat there as an equal member at the table i was like folks these are investments these are not costs right like people That's- are who service our customers people are who build our product and our technology mm-hmm. those are investments right and I think 
we really put an emphasis more on the customer experience because we looked at them as being the ones that drove the financial success and performance of the organization. When in reality, it was the humans in the company that were doing the work that were driving those outcomes. But our, our focus has always been around, you know, customer advocacy and customer retention. That that has definitely shifted and, and that pendulum has definitely swung to the the other side of the equation now. And, and there is a lot more focus in organizations around the people experience. And back to the, the point that you made, I've always been a big believer that if you get the investment right with your people, they will they absolutely will deliver exceptional customer experiences, which in turn will deliver great shareholder experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that philosophy of kind of flipping that that triangle upside down and saying, no, start with your people. Because if you get that relationship right, everything else naturally works itself out. And mm-hmm. I think we've we've started to see that a lot. Um, I think the maturity of the people experience has definitely increased over the past, say, five years or so. You know, I remember when I first kind of started in this this people arena. People experience was all about the little perks and things that we did in the office, right? Like, oh, we have a great people experience because we have a, a kegerator that opens at four o'clock, or we've got an awesome shuffleboard <laughs> table that you know you can you can play on. And, and the reality is, those are not the things that people connect to when they think about their experience. It's it's that sense of ownership, that sense of well being, that sense of accountability, of being part of something. And that is definitely shifted in the right direction. We still have a long ways to go in, in getting it right. Uh, and I think it'll always be something that we continue to iterate on. There'll never be a state of done with the people experience. Nor should there ever. And to your point, you know, they are our greatest asset. And if you do invest in them, you have to think about it as a return on investment, right? Your your CFO, your, your financial friends um, sitting at the big table that's really what they want to know. What is the return? And you're going to have a depleting asset if you don't invest in them. So I love the way that you think about it. So if we have some listeners on, you know, that are listening now to the podcast, what do you recommend for organizations that are just now starting to pay attention to their employee experience? How do they even start? Well, first, I think... As leaders, you have to come in with a really realistic mindset, right? Like my first recommendation to to all leaders, regardless if you're in HR, you're in a different function is, is really, really sit down and be super realistic with yourself, right? Like as we've seen over the past 18 to 24 months, there have been increasing demands on leaders, which unfortunately is, is starting to put even more responsibility on HR or people teams to drive the the action around the the people experience, um, we definitely need to start with putting the emphasis on the importance of the correlation between the employee experience and business outcomes. Right? I when I talk mm-hmm. to other CHROs, unfortunately, that becomes a nice to have versus a must have. It's like, well, listen, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be nice if we could do that. But that's that's not our priority. If you haven't started, start with that being your priority. Start with that being kind of your end state in mind, right? I know as a as a CHRO or a CPO, I want to sit in my board meeting 
and demonstrate how what we're doing is actually driving financial performance. It's it's driving people performance. Like back to your point about ROI. So my my thoughts for for those of you just starting is be realistic with where you're at. Make the the correlation to business outcomes an absolute non-negotiable. And then make it super simple to get started, right? Like I've I've seen people want to over-architect this whole philosophy around, you know, building a listening strategy and, and really building a people strategy. And it doesn't have to be super difficult. It doesn't have to be complex. I, I've always been a believer that probably 80% of the challenges that we're faced with as organizations, people somewhere in the organization already know how to solve those problems. They're not, they're just not being given the voice or the podium or the opportunity to talk about them. And so Go to where the action is. Go to the people closest to your customers. Go to the people closest to, you know, other people in the organization and ask them, get their insight. Because again, nine times out of 10, they're already going to have recommendations for you about where to invest, where to, you know, divest, what problems to go solve. But again, they're, they're just not given the opportunity to speak up and share that. And so, don't don't over architect this and, and and definitely don't go for perfection. I'm a big believer in progress over perfection. You are going to mess it up a hundred times or over and that's okay. Just continue to make progress and continue to iterate. So do you recommend starting with what you've coined a listening strategy? And if so, what are you listening for? Absolutely. I, 100% that to me is one of the most important places to start when you're thinking about building, you know, a, a people strategy if you don't have one, even as you're thinking about the continuous iteration of that, right? Like I always tell CHROs that that I talk to, like your people strategy should be reviewed and updated as frequently as your business and financial strategies, right? Mm -hmm. The three things go together. And so the the first thing I recommend is is go out and listen ask lots of ask lots of questions and and truly sit back and listen and you know for some for some organizations they do that right now but it's in more of a what we like to term an episodic experience where they they give mm -hmm. one or two listening events uh, i say in air quotes again each year and in many of those instances they're listening to understand what is it that you know, is keeping people engaged and motivated and, and giving that discretionary effort. They're equally also listening for the flip side of that to understand, you know, what is causing people to not show up as their most authentic and genuine self at work? What is keeping people from truly delivering that that discretionary effort? Um, and, and and that's okay if that's that's where you're at, right? There's there's definitely a listening maturity. Uh, model that that's out there in terms of where organizations are. But I think most people start to really listen to understand, are people really engaged here? Do they want to stay here? Do they, are they proud to work for the organization? Uh, but that has to evolve over time, right? And, and those, those moments that matter or those listening moments have to become more frequent and they have to move far beyond just listening for some of those, those basic things about pride in the organization, desire to stay there, et cetera. So you consult 
with a lot of companies. And if I remember correctly, you had told me about a story about a, I think it was a beverage company that was having problems with workers' compensation claims. Mm -hmm. And your consultant on your team discovered that there was a connection between this organization's workers' comp claims and their employee engagement. These two seem like you know, completely separate issues. How was that correlation made between the two? And can you tell tell us a little bit more background about why you were engaged and how you found it and and what the solution was moving forward? Absolutely. So it's ironic because if, if I look at the maturity curve that this organization was on at that time, they were far more what I would consider kind of in those early maturities. They were they were more episodic in the way they surveyed their employees. It was they definitely had not made the shift to continuing listening at that point. And as we were going through kind of the executive summary, we had had a conversation with the the CEO and uh, the CF or the CHRO, and the CHRO had just randomly said, you know, over the past year we have really started to see that more and more people have had accidents on the job. And we started to dig in and ask some questions. Was it in a certain segment of the business? Was this a more generalized statement? Uh, And what we learned is that it was actually happening in their manufacturing plants. And as we went back and started to look at the engagement, we're like, okay, well, we know traditionally people who are less engaged, who are less committed, who you know, have a, a probably a, a shorter tenure within an organization, don't always care as much about how they show up, right? And sometimes they get um, maybe a little bit sloppy in the way that they perform. They're they're not as buttoned up, right? There's their their intentions are are good, but the way they're showing up isn't there. And we were actually able to go back and make a correlation between engagement levels and worker comp claims because we were seeing that the areas where engagement had started to falter and started to go down is where the increase in the actual workers' comp claims was going up. And a group of far smarter people than me (laughs) and some technology and and probably a whole lot of pivot tables and things that my brain doesn't wrap around (laughs) were able to, to actually do an analysis that allowed us to demonstrate to this client what the cost of disengagement actually was costing their business, right? And so when when companies and CEOs and CFOs and CHROs hear about my engagement's going up or my engagement's going down or whatever, a lot of times the answer is, so what? What does that mean mm-hmm. for our business? Well, here there was actually a, a demonstrated impact that by people being disengaged, it was costing the company money. Mm-hmm. And as importantly, it was grossly impacting the well-being of their people, the people they were making the largest investment in in the entire company, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't good for either the employee or for the organization. And so that's where I think when people get more mature on their listening, it's not just about the frequency or what they're listening for. It's understanding how what we do or don't do, what we say or don't say, not just has impacts on people's state of mind or on their well-being, it actually has impacts on the actual performance of the organization. So when I think about, when I hear you say, listen, you just gave a perfect example of a root cause correlation process and data 
that tells you exactly what's happening and why in your organization. And you actually then pulled it through to here's what's costing your organization. So your listening, I guess, in this instance is data driven. Mm-hmm. So you said before, listen to what the employees go out and listen to the employees, to the people. This example, you said use data and it will use a root cause analysis. It will help you understand exactly what is happening in your manufacturing plant with your workers' comp claims and what it's costing your organization. So there's there's two ways to listen and to build out your employee experience. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. And and I would actually say there's there's even more ways to listen, right? Like there's there's the deliberate mm-hmm. elements that we've just talked about. Um, it's also the unspoken language too, right? Like we're all on Zoom. It feels like an enormous we amount are. of time every day. And you you can listen by watching at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are unspoken languages and words that come across when you're interacting with people, when you see a, a, a radical shift in their demeanor or how they show up. Uh, there's There's things that we hear externally, right? Like I'm right now, all of the the listening that I'm referencing has been very inward. But if you think about some of the other external places where people can speak, so to speak, you need to listen to those too, right? Like, so when I was at a a previous organization, uh, we actually had a very, very large emphasis on our listening strategy internally. What we didn't focus on so much on at that time was how people were speaking about our organization externally. And with sites like Glassdoor and Fairy God Boss and others out there, organizations that aren't continuously reviewing what people are saying about their organizations on those sites are also missing a really important listening channel, right? Because we're not asking them for feedback. We're not asking the questions but somebody else is, and they're responding to them about our organization, right? And so Mm -hmm. when people embark upon the employee experience and want to validate through data, if the employee experience is delivering the desired internal, you know, employee outcomes, as well as financial and business outcomes, they need to have a more holistic approach to where they're gathering that data from. Because if you're only using the internal data, a lot of times you're missing a really important element of the story because People aren't always 100% authentic and transparent uh, Mm -hmm. internally for fear of repercussion, right? But when they're allowed to go out to these anonymous sites, so to speak, and have that anonymity, you you learn things that maybe you're not hearing internally. And so Mm -hmm. I think when people think about their people experience and they want to measure the success of it, they really need to look at all those different data points, both internally and externally, to really have the full picture. So let me ask a real practical question for those that are listening in and they're saying to themselves, you know what, we don't have an employee experience really documented right now, but now I'm convinced I need one. Are there five categories to a typical employee experience? Is there a framework that you can share that a CHRO or a director of HR at a 500 person company, 200 person company can begin to use to, I guess, document their listening strategy and their employee experience. Well, I want to I want to just lean into something that you've said um, and and just 
challenge this for a moment. Whether a person has a documented people experience strategy or not, they have a people experience already Mm -hmm. happening and they just intentionally are not focused on it, right? Like it doesn't matter if you have a five page or 15 page PowerPoint that documents your people experience. There is an experience right now that people are feeling and whether it's intentional or unintentional, it is what it is, right? And I think that's the thing that when we talk about kind of a a four-stage model for listening and, and building the right people experience, you got to remember that even if you aren't there, there's already a perception of what your people experience mm-hmm. is, right? And so I I would say my my first part before you even get down that path is go understand what people believe it to be today, even mm-hmm. though you don't have a strategy in place. Because like many things, you could go try to solve for what doesn't need to be solved for. Uh, and I, I'm going to use a real, just a real quick example on that before I an- actually answer your question. Um, we we were trying to solve for people feeling Zoom fatigue. Like we we truly believed our employees were having Zoom fatigue, and you know, like it, this was a real thing, right? And so we went out and we put some steps in place to say, okay, let's have a no meeting Friday every other week. Let's give people more space, et cetera. Well, when we went out and started actually asking people about how these things were impacting them, did they feel less? We actually had multiple people say, we weren't ever experiencing Zoom fatigue. Like we weren't quite Mm. sure why this was a thing, right? And and I think what happened, and this goes back to my earlier statement about go to where the action is. Mm -hmm. The people that were sitting in a room talking about Zoom fatigue were people that had Zoom fatigue because we were senior leaders and we were on Zoom all day long, right? All day long, yeah. Our employees, however, were having a very different experience. And so Mm. we spent time and energy making change to something that we perceived to be a challenge for our people. And we didn't go ask, right? We just assumed. So that that's just, I would say like, go to where the action is and listen, even before you're ready to start building your, your strategy so that you make sure that your strategy is in alignment with where you want to take the company, but also aligns with where your starting point is. Because those two things being grossly misaligned can make your best intent and your best intentions go awry if you're going down a radically different path than where your people think you are or where you need to go. So I'll, 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 I'll start with that. Um, you know, there are frameworks. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a listening strategy framework at Perceptics that uh, works with many organizations, large and small. Uh, and it starts with, again, with kind of an assessment of, of where are you currently? And that, that was kind of what I was talking about there is like do a maturity assessment on your, your own business and look at it in terms of how mature is your talent acquisition organization? How mature is your, you know, your, your integrated people enablement function? How mature is your enablement and delivery function? I always start there in every place that you go because some are going to be more mature than you think. Others are going to be far less mature than you think. And it's, it's important to understand your maturity in all those places. So I always start with, with that assessment, you know, in terms of, of how you, you build that strategy going forward, it's not a one size fits all, right? Um, I, like I said earlier, I like to believe in throw out the box. Don't think outside of it. Cause when you tell me to think outside the box, you've already put me in some parameters where if you say here, you've got a white, a white canvas or a blank canvas, go after it, go get it. 
you come to different places. So I guess my, my feedback to the folks on the team would be start with, start with listening, start with the, the actual maturity assessment, build a plan that's not for the current, but for the future, right? Um, mm. I see too many organizations start to build their people strategy based off of where they are today and where they want to be, but they need to think about where they really will be in two to three years and build backwards from there. Don't try to build towards that, right? I'm a big believer in, in what got us here won't get us there. What it takes to get to $100 million is not what it takes to get to a $250 million company, right? The roles are different. The the design is different. The the plays that we we execute on are different. And so I would say that that's kind of the third piece is, is truly build for the future. Um, and the fourth piece is really get the right people involved in building of that strategy. And again, that's sometimes hard, especially for CHROs who have worked in HR for a long time, because we've seen a lot, we've done a lot. Um, sometimes we think we know more about what needs to be done than others. But the reality is some of my best learnings and aha moments have come from bringing people into the conversation that aren't even in the people organization. So mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, yes, there's probably a far more documented framework that people can use. I choose not to use such rigid uh, frameworks mm -hmm. because I don't want to walk into something kind of already understanding what I need to solve and how I need to solve it. I want to truly go in completely open-minded and open to allowing that journey to, to go where it needs to go versus following a, a strict process. And I think that listening strategy is a big part of that because the questions that you ask and the answers that you receive help drive what actions you need to take. And you're constantly iterating on those, right? It's to your, to our point earlier, when we were and I were talking briefly, there's no done, there's no done, right? Like, mm -hmm you're not going to build a people strategy or a listening strategy or a business strategy and be done, right? You're going to have economic headwinds. <laughs> you're going to have societal mm -hmm. headwinds, right? There's going to be all kinds of different things that are both in and out of our control that that will change. And so I, I think the, those four main areas are, are areas that can really stand behind and say work. The rest kind of falls into place. I think... Listening to you makes me think about in corporate strategy, a lot of times you just take a look at the current plan and you upgrade it to the economic conditions, the regulatory conditions, whatever is happening, but it's more of a gap analysis. Here's where we want to go. Here's where we are today. Here's what we need to do differently in order to execute that plan. Your point about there is an employee experience, whether you document it or not, was brilliant because there is. And so really it it is about a gap analysis. It is about where you want to go and also being so forward looking and not looking at the past. So two excellent points Lisa just made there. Number one, you have a you already have an employee experience whether you know it or not. So you need to document that and then number two, look forward when you want to create that new experience. Excellent excellent points. So for those CHROs, directors of HR, they're stepping back and they're saying, okay, I need an HR strategy just in general. 
What do you think is the first step that a CHRO should take, knowing that there already is a corporate strategy maybe established? And maybe it's a growth plan type strategy. To your point, the first hundred, you know, it, it is, it's going to look very different when you grow to that second hundred million or that trillion or whatever it is. Um, what's that first step that they should take to align the two strategies together? They, they have to get aligned and get the right stakeholders into that conversation as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. I will say I went about this the wrong way <laughs> my very first time in Do this tell seat. us. Uh, oh, believe me, I'm so open to telling <laughs> my mistakes. mistakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I seem, to, I seem to make them, and, and they're not small ones, they're big ones. Uh, That's but right, always, big ones are good too. They are, and they always mm-hmm. seem to, to land me to a bigger aha moment. So, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, it, and, and all joking aside, you, you have to build the relationship with the right straight stakeholders. And mm-hmm. for me, the two most critical stakeholders for, for me and in my CHRO CPO role are our CEO and our CFO. And mm-hmm. I always kind of refer to it as kind of like the three-legged stool, right? Like one of those, one of those legs is off and the, the stool falls over. You've got to have all three of those aligned because your, your CEO nine times out of 10 is responsible for the organizational strategy, right? Your CFO mm-hmm. manages the financial and then you've got me, right? The CHRO that that really is responsible for ideating and creating that that people experience. And as I did myself, and I, I see others that are more inexperienced as well do, they try to go go build that and then come inform the CEO and the CFO what their plan is and, and mm-hmm. share it. Whereas start with them, right? <laughs> like don't go build something and come back and, and share it with them. I, I am a big believer in ask for forgiveness, not for permission, but mm-hmm. not when you're building your people strategy for your organization. And, and again, I, I, I don't know if that's because we're nervous about the direction they're going to, to push us down or point us down, right? Or, you know, I, I sometimes think CHROs maybe are a little bit standoffish with going after the CFO because budget conversations come in and that can limit their ability to think big. But I have mm-hmm. found in my relationships, which I have phenomenal relationships with the CFOs I've worked alongside, is if I help them understand where I aspire and we aspire to take this company, they can help us figure out how to get there through our financial you know, investments. And mm-hmm. we can work together to think strategically about how we do the things we want to do versus me going and building something and then coming back and trying to fit it into a budget or into a plan, right? And so I think that's that's where I would definitely tell people to start is, is get get with the right stakeholders. And, and depending on the size of your organization, you know, it, it might also mean bringing in your chief revenue officer, your chief marketing officer, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are people who have very critical jobs in how the organization identifies and and generates and retains revenue right and at the end of the day if we're not if we're not you know getting out and building a name for ourselves in the market and and dr- generating revenue and and keeping our customers none of us have jobs <laughs> so right. it's it's important for the the people leader to also understand how does this company make money what are the critical 
you know, business, uh, business metrics or analytics that we're, we're tracking towards? And how do we as a people team help support that? Uh, that's, that's critical too into how we build our strategy. Because if you're in a, if you're in a, a grow mode, right? Like making sure that we are identifying, selecting and retaining exceptional talent is critical to the marketing organization's success, to the, the revenue generation's success, to the growth organization's success. And again, I've just seen too many times where those those conversations happen in silos versus as collective discussions where we really are ideating and supporting one another. Uh, so that would that would be my biggest my biggest piece of feedback is is get the right stakeholders in the room. And if your CEO and CFO aren't part of that conversation, and probably your CRO and CMO, stop the conversation because you're mm-hmm. not getting you're not getting enough of the vantage points that you need in order to build a holistic people strategy for the company. Absolutely. And you're the expert at the table. I think um, most often we forget about that. That that is the expertise of the CHRO to have that strategic lens but know their people. And I think when you have a listening strategy where you can can approach it as this is what I know is happening within our organization. This is where we want to go this is what we need to do differently, or this is how we need to add or whatever we need to do. Um, That's the kind of conversation that you should be having with your peers if you aren't already. It is. And it's, I mean, it is, it is such a critical conversation and I shouldn't even say conversation. They are critical conversations to have and continue to have because they truly do differentiate the most successful organizations from the rest of the pack. Right. Um, we, we have, you, you mentioned this earlier, we have a, um, a kind of a, a, well, it's not kind of, it's a big research report that we put out every year that is um, about the state of employee listening. And one of the, the continuous pieces of outcomes uh, and feedback that we see from this type of research is that organizations who are more intentional about their people strategy, who are deliberate about having a, an ongoing and, and more continuous listening strategy, actually are six times more likely to exceed their financial targets. Um, They are six times more likely to achieve higher levels of uh, customer satisfaction and engagement, which we know has a direct correlation to, you know, annual recurring revenue growth, to margin growth, et cetera. Um, And in many organizations, they're nine times more likely to be able to innovate and iterate more rapidly. And let's be honest, like in today's world, we all are, are racing to be first, right? Because if you're not first, mm-hmm. you're last. Um, yeah. Or so you either have to be first or the absolute best. And again, I, I think I think we forget at times that our people strategy is such an important element, and our listening strategy are such important elements to those things. And and we we just we get busy, right? And and mm-hmm. we forget. We can't forget anymore because if we forget and we're not doing the right things, our people remember for us and they help remind us by leaving the organization, going to our competition, not showing up the way they they should. Uh, it, all of those things impact their their ability to, to deliver, right? Exceptional performance. And that's what mm-hmm. we need. Well, this is such an incredible conversation. And you just mentioned a annual study. Um, which I suspect um, is that on the on your public website? 
It is. It is. It's called the State of Employee Listening Study. It's. It was uh, conducted the second half of 2022 and and uh, was launched earlier this year. So yes, you can you can go out to perceptics.com um, and go into our resources page, and there's an opportunity for you to download it. I I highly recommend taking a moment just to read it. I mean, I work for the company. I'm our, our chief people officer, and there were still things in there that I was like, oh wow. That's interesting, uh, you know, and, and this is what we do for a living. But there's there's some good nuggets in there that I think would be helpful as people start to embark upon this. Or even if you're if you're already a mature organization when it comes to listening, uh, there's there's always things that are are iterating and changing. Uh, and I think there's some good nuggets you could take away. Well, and research is always a, a very big component of a listening strategy, right? It brings a lot of credibility to the table when you have authoritative sources like yours that have already conducted the research. So we will make sure to put a link um, in our comment section uh, so that our listeners can find, easily find um, that fantastic research. All right. So at the end of every podcast, we have a segment called rapid fire questions, one sentence questions with one sentence answers. You ready to play? I'm ready to play. I love games. <laughs> All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. Why should the C-suite give HR the credibility they so deserve? Well, I think this goes back to what I said earlier. They're responsible for the largest asset and investment in the organization, uh, and they have probably the greatest insight into employees' perceptions. What is the biggest problem you or your team solved this year? Oh, my goodness. That is a wonderful question. Um <laughs> We, we actually, there's one I, I would, there's an answer I'd love to give you, but it's not quite solved yet. Uh, what we have solved is the, the whole focus on internal mobility and kind of career advancement and development, which we've learned is one of the most critical reasons why people choose to stay at Perceptics. Um, and it's been an 18 month long program that we've been building and we launched it earlier this year. Fantastic. How did you, you had mentioned earlier that HR, that you kind of came to HR in, in an odd way. So how did you wind up in HR? And is it something that you started out pursuing or did you fall into it? I, um, I can't answer one, that than in a one, one question answer. or in one sentence. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. Um, I will definitely say this is one of those areas where I was, um, I was pushed, um, but in a very nice way. Um, no, I, I, in full transparency, anybody that's, that's heard me before, I, I spent the greater part of my career trying to avoid the HR function, uh, at all costs, right? But I had consulted to CHROs. I had sold to CHROs. I built technology, um, that was for HR departments and, um, a, a very brilliant CEO one day asked me to step out of a product role because I was building uh, or designing product for um, one of the large H uh, HCM vendors. He asked me to bring my perspectives and philosophies to their people team and to literally mm -hmm. start over like white canvas go. Um, it's been the most rewarding and challenging career element or, or, or chapter of my career um, ever. But I would say that, you know, if, if somebody wants to make a seismic difference in an organization, the, the HR and people team is a place where most people don't look initially 
lift up the covers and and dig in because it is it is one of the most rewarding and fulfilling areas of the business and there's tremendous opportunity. I'll give you a high five on that one. What advice would you give to a smart driven college student about to enter the real world? What advice should they also ignore? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I would say one be a continuous learner be inquisitive. Don't ever stop learning. Two, I, I have to add a second one. Um, be patient. And and that's, I, I feel like that's silly saying that because I'm one of the most impatient people you will meet. But I, <laughs> excellence takes time. And we've grown up in a hyper, uh, you know, a hyper fast growth time over the past 15 years all good things do take some time and, and I can appreciate how fast people want to move, but, but be patient, um, but don't ever settle. Like again, progress over perfection. So the advice that they should ignore is to settle for something. Don't settle. Mm-hmm. Don't ever rest because once you rest, somebody else passes you by. There you go. Where can people go to learn more about you and perceptics? Um, well, me, I'm all over LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, I'm kind of a, a social media person. So if you if you do want to learn more about me, just connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, please do reference that you listen to this podcast because I will say I am one of those people who's probably a little bit more um, selective on who I just accept LinkedIn requests from. So if you reference mm-hmm. that you're on this podcast, I'll know that's why you're reaching out to me. Um, I would say Perceptics, go to perceptics.com. There's tons of information there about us. The the state of employee listening is there. Or again, reach out to me. I, I love talking about what we do and how we do it. Today, we have been joined by Lisa Sterling, Chief People Officer at Perceptics. Thanks again so much, Lisa. It's been such a pleasure. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you, Britta. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already left a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. If you have any feedback or questions about the show, drop them in the comments wherever you listen or email podcast at hrmorning.com. To find me, go to bertaaldrich.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more Voices of HR.